passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, it is. Just kidding, I'm not going to do that. Let's talk some baseball. Uh, it's Jack Fritz. Here with me this week is Mike Angelina, the, the overnight producer at WIP, uh, Phillies game producer, and really just a Phillies baseball savant. We had Mike on earlier in the season. Glad to have him back on now. Mike, what are your early season takeaways from the Phils? And welcome back on the podcast, my friend. Well, thank you. It's you know it's nice. Uh, one of the Reds games I was at this week, I guess it was the Tuesday game, the Nola game. It's nice being able to to look at a one nothing deficit and not think like, well, we're screwed. And it's just nice, you know, knowing that there's an offense to uh, that's going to come up and eventually break through and put some runs on the board. Yeah, the offense has taken some uh, some major steps forward. Obviously, the the twenty to one game, excluding. I mean, every single night it seems like even when they're down, they can make a run. I mean, facing a lineup at the top with with um, Cesar Santana, whoever's in the three hole that night, and then Hoskins. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just a nightmare for pitchers. So. Uh, and now, instead of having Peter Borges batting in the eight hole or <laughs> someone like that, you actually have intriguing guys at the bottom of the lineup that you can tune in and and watch and see their development. And one of those guys is J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford is—I didn't want to jump into it right yet, but I'm just so excited to talk about J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford has taken a major step forward and and shout out to John Maley who noticed his swing was getting long mm-hmm. JP noticed his swing was getting long they worked on this new drill that I guess Robinson Robinson Cano used and it it has unleashed JP into a, another level that I wasn't expecting this early in the season I mean his, he struggled beginning of the year it was bad but man JP Crawford looks like he has uh he's turned a page yeah, and I don't know about you. I was kind of getting the feeling that uh, just I guess because you know it, it was pretty, it was decent in September. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. 
He had good on-base percentage, but I was kind of getting the feeling that fans just were not interested in liking J.P. Crawford. Like, he kind of felt like left for dead. And it just kind of felt like everyone was kind of, like, you know, more like media types were kind of, like, asking him for to already be removed from the lineup. And I get whatever it was, a one-for-22 start it may have been. I guess that'll do that. But, no, he's a good player. He was drafted high for a reason. He came with a high pedigree. He's a good baseball player. He's, he's I'm really, really looking forward to seeing him over uh, – you know, at least the next six years. I, I think he's going to be a nice. Uh, he's going to be a nice guy you could stash in the bottom of the order. But then, like you said, come up with cl- clutch hits. He'll hit for extra bases and just he'll just be. Uh, he won't just be a doormat to like you know to get to the pitcher spot. Especially with how baseball's going now, where, where you see these huge jumps in home run numbers and offensive output. I mean, like Didi Gregorius, a guy that I've compared JP to a lot. Uh, you know, didn't yeah. didn't have crazy power numbers a couple of years ago. You know, was barely hitting double digits, and then boom, these last. And last year he had 25 homers. I, I, I think we could see similar trajectory from JP and Didi Gregorius. I mean, if he, I mean, he legit hit two balls in the last couple of days. One was a second decker at Citizens Bank Park, which I didn't think he had any chance of hitting. And right. the other was uh, really deep down there at the trap. So there were absolute no doubters from JP, which is something I, I had no idea he had. No, yeah, he's when he. I guess it's that uppercut swing when he when he connects on a ball he could hit it you know as far as anyone on the team really you know minus Hoskins. Well, yeah, and Reese. That's that's another thing about Reese is like he struggled a little bit this week. He got benched or whatever. I don't know with the with the lineups being made a week out. But even when he's struggling in quotation marks, he's putting together fantastic at bats. He's hitting the ball in the nose. It's like he is he is unbelievably consistent for a guy who has been in the majors the the amount of time that he's been up here. Yeah, it, you know, the thing with Hosk, he has this unbelievable, uh, it's kind of like Ben Simmons, like the way he carries himself. He just, he came up here and just was confident and just knew he was good, knew he knew he had, knew to trust his approach and just keep doing his, you know, working pitches and doing his thing. And it just, he He's just such a confident hitter, and like this isn't a. He did have minor league success, but we're not talking about like the first overall draft pick in a draft, and we're not talking about high draft, too high of a draft pick. It's, you know, he really he has this, I guess, uh, little unwarranted confidence, and I I see it really helping him out. One hundred percent. The Phillies are, are are streaking. They they've won six straight. They've they've swept swept two straight series. Uh, won eight of nine. Now, the caveat to all of that is that it's been against pretty bad teams, some of the worst teams in the entire, entire sport. Yeah, I think the Reds What do you make of the streak? Are you fully are – they, are they, do they overcome the early season struggles, or are you still kind of just tentative on, listen, those bad teams, I don't want to go, go completely, they're, they're going to make the playoffs. I'm encouraged, but, eh, I don't know. I need to see it versus good teams. Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, like – Let's. They beat Chris Archer pretty bad, uh, pretty or pretty good. Uh, Saturday, that was the big. It was second inning, the the big uh, rally. So yeah. you know that game. That's you have that game, but then the next game they 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 win a bullpen game. You know, which you kind of should. So it's a little bit of both. The Reds. Uh, two of those games could have really gone either way. Maybe even three of them. Uh, you know, if, if not for the Kingery Grand Slam. You know, it's. 
I guess, yeah, I guess my answer is a little bit of both. It's they're beating, they did beat some good pitchers along the way, and they did get into uh, some, they got into the Reds bullpen early a couple nights. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, they're not the best teams in baseball. Right. But at the same time, Philly's teams have passed probably don't beat these teams. And no. you, you have to, if you want to really be serious about a playoff run, then you've got to beat these teams. And I think, I think responding the way they did after the beginning of the season, you know, started about as worse it could, as it could possibly start. Every one of Kapler's decisions seemed to backfire. He had players in the locker room questioning him. For, for them to come out, respond in this way, I think shows their belief in Gabe and, and, and their belief in the, in the numbers slash analytics or whatever you want to say. Right. I think them responding this way shows that we've got his back. And it kind of reminds me, I don't want it, to, it may be a reach, but it kind of reminds me of the Eagles' response after the Bengals game the, the year before last. You know, the Bengals yeah, game, yeah, yeah. You, had, you had Zach Ertz, you know, not blocking for Carson Wentz when he was, and he was about to get crushed going out of bounds. You have Rodney McLeod not tackling in the end zone. And I kind of feel, and, they, and at that moment, Peterson challenged his players, and they responded, and they didn't quit on him, and they they finished out the season strongly. I kind of get the same sense here. A little bit of that. Uh, it's just, I, I think it's, I, it's just good for the moment because I was kind of getting sick of all the, you know, anonymous sources and and the. The Nick Williams thing, which he, I think he was lying when he said he was trying to make a joke. That was kind of a stupid Poor joke. Yeah. So it's just just to have that go away for ten days, and you know, I I would anticipate I'm not going to feel too many you know Kapler calls fire Kapler calls this week, uh, you know, hopefully. But it's just I just want to I just want a calm calm scene around my favorite baseball team. You know, and that, that does this. This does this. Third, I think they're fourth, fourth best record in the National League. Trending upwards, uh, very winnable series uh, this week, this early week, this week in uh, Atlanta, and then you know he come back home. I, I think they're really trending upward. Yeah, and and the the analytics, if you want to use that word, yeah. have benefited them recently. I and mean, even today, uh, he brings in Luis Garcia into a tight ball game to get one out against an art span, and Aaron Altair has moved ten spots to his normal right field spot. And is put in the only position to make that play. I think. Oh yeah, the diving catch. It was a diving catch, and on times that ball is hit, according to the stats, 94% of the time that ball is down for for a hit. And because of the positioning, because of the analytics or whatever you want to say, right. uh, Aaron Altair was in the right spot and it saved them a ball game. And they went out and laid the hammer on them and made it a 10-4 win. You're starting to see the advantages of the numbers, and that was my whole thing. Because like, the first week, every single time they used analytics, it just didn't, they, they didn't execute. They, it went wrong. It went wrong. And now, it, since it's all calmed down and everyone's just you know taking a big <laughs> sigh of relief, they're starting to work. And and water always finds its finds its level, and that's the way that I view analytics. And we're starting to see them really, really help this team. I mean, Abdul the night before, or two nights before. He was positioned perfectly for a ball that could have changed the game as well. So the, the numbers are starting to, to show and, and, the, and starting to help this still stand. 
Yeah, the the, uh, the Altair ball catch you're talking about, the two nights before, Friday night, Carlos Santana hits the ball in the same spot. It drops over Carlos, it bounces over Carlos Gomez's head because he misplays it, and that's how the, the Phillies come back and tie that game and eventually win that game. So, yeah, we're seeing it, you know, when it works, and we're seeing it not work for other teams. Uh, just, you know, it's just, it's kind of very, like, trust the process, like, because it's just, like, if you keep trusting, like you said, water's going to find its level, keep trusting the information you have, you know, eventually guys will execute, and, you know, things that happen 85% of the time, or it's going to, it's working that time, and it's not having the 15% go against you. They're, they're finally catching their breaks, and over 162, you know, the better teams are going to yield from that. And there's a, there's a reason why every team in the major leagues uses analytics, uses shifts, and why it's so prevalent. It's because they work. Yeah. <laughs> it's because they work. <laughs> they and I'm work. glad the Phillies are finally adapting to modern baseball. No, yeah, it's, it's just nice being able to uh, be in the conversation with analytics. And, uh, and, you know, it's funny. Like, have you noticed, it seems like, I guess it maybe it was like an initiative going into the season because of uh, the Kapler regime. Uh, NBC Philly, NBC Sports Philly, or whatever they're called now, they're, uh, it seems like they're trying to go overboard and trying to use analytics. And it's, it's just kind of funny because it's like, you know, here's this broadcast team that we've gotten to know for specifically like McCarthy and uh, Davis and Kruk. We've gotten to know them a lot over these years and they've never talked about it. And it's just funny that like now it's injected because uh, – I, I don't know, it just seems like it's an initiative to talk about it more. And, you know, Kruk was not happy about that. <laughs> yeah, well, like, you know, I, I guess because it's not really something like, you know, in the in 1980 when you picked up the newspaper, you didn't really see in the box score a launch angle. So now, you know, people don't know what a good launch angle is, but that that doesn't mean there's not value to the stat. It's just, you know, take 20 minutes and read about it, and, you know, you'll, you'll kind of see yeah. that it makes sense. <laughs> And also understand that launch angle has led to some of the biggest breakouts of the last couple of years, yeah. and 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 hope it helps out the guys here. Like, I that's my that's been my main quip with the broadcasting team, is that it just seems like they're so anti how the game's moving, and it just infiltrates all the people who watch it and who watch the team on a night in night out basis, because like that's that's their base, that's who they're talking to, mm-hmm. and it's it's just I think it's being unfair to the people watching to not inform them on the way baseball is moving and just because you don't like it doesn't mean that you can just completely dump on it and say and and not think it's worth their time and that's really been my my main quip with with the broadcasting team so far this year so it seems like every time they try to work it into their their commentator commentary it's always just like in a mocking tone which is a little bit frustrating but yeah uh, hopefully Hopefully, with the, with the recent winning streak, with with the shifts that have been working, uh, they can kind of back off a little bit and and let this thing kind of play its course. Yeah, uh, my new favorite feature is when they when like a runner takes its lead and they measure it out, like how many feet off the base he is. Like that's not a new thing. Like I remember being taught in like Babe Ruth baseball, like you take like you know enough so that you can if you take two steps you can dive with your body length and that's that's the proper amount to take a lead that's not analytics like it's not like Aaron Altair is studying a binder of like well how many feet should I get off this guy? no like no it's just he's he's taller than most people so he's going to have a little bit of a larger lead than most it's it's not analytics it's just it's just fun and then like if you lean a certain way the foot goes up a full the the meter goes up a whole foot and it just doesn't make any sense but that that's yeah, that's like, been enjoyable for me 
<laughs> it's like I don't really care how far the guy's off. Like I, right. I get it. I mean, I I understand if he gets picked off how many how many feet off the bag he is. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely a weird stat. It's a weird like broadcasting thing. Like who was the guy that that's like, well, that's gonna that's gonna draw on the millennials. Right. <laughs> like I I just don't get it. No, you're right. No, but uh, in, like in the long run, I guess the more they uh, they talk to Kapler, talk to Mealy Mealy, and talk to. Uh, you know, Tom's, I don't know about Kranitz, how much he's into it, because he, they just kind of like fell into him being their pitching coach. But it like maybe the more they talk to it, they'll look over time and be like, oh, okay, these things were val- validated by, you know, it, spe- you know, maybe specific instances will come up, they'll talk about it, and eventually open everyone's eyes more. I really, I've been pretty impressed with, with the lineup thus far, and I think a lot of that has to do with John Maley. I mean, I think he's... Yep. I think he's unleashed Cesar Hernandez to another level. I mean, Cesar's always been a good hitter, but his OBP is even higher than it usually is right now, and it, it doesn't seem like it's really going to be going anywhere. Uh, I mean, Hoskins is Hoskins. Uh, the only guy that's really not producing has been Aaron Altair. I, I think personally that Carlos Santana has just been super, super unlucky. unlucky. And there's going to be about a two-week stretch where he just is raking and he gets right. back up his average and his OVP back to where they've been for his entire career. Um, yeah, been, he he flew really up to the warning track four times. Uh, you know, by, by June, those are four more home runs. And you know that could drastically alter your slugging percentage. Right, and it's been super cold out. Uh, but the Maley effect so far, I think, has been really, really good. I don't know how much is Maley and how much is Kapler, but the, just the emphasis on, on seeing pitches, trying to draw walks. Eventually, over 162, you're going to get into the bullpen earlier and earlier, and that's going to yield positive results. I mean, arms are just fresh right now. That's just yeah. Yeah, everyone's coming straight out of spring training. Eventually, as the summer wears on, that's going to yield really positive results, and I've been I've been really impressed with with John Maley's approach so far. Yeah, it's a very sound uh, approach to just having crooked innings. You keep keep uh, you know grinding at bats, getting guys on base, moving the lineup along. Eventually, you're going to you know as they they did Saturday, you're going to have six run innings, five run innings, big innings, and you know usually the team with the most big innings wins the game. And you know it's just it's very. It's just a very sound theoretical approach to hitting. Uh, instead of just, you know, coming up and thinking, like, all right, you only get one pitch to attack, you wait for it and be ready. Like, no, just, you know, just string together long at bats, move the lineup over, get into the bullpen. You do that, you know, it, it, it's weird what we saw Saturday or Sunday with the Rays having a bullpen game. You're not going to see that very often. But, you know, on uh, if you do that in game two of the series, it, it drastically increases your chances of winning the third game of the series just because the, the thinner bullpen, less options, uh, more worn-out guys. It's it's just it just makes too much sense not to do. Yeah. And do you have you had much problems with with making the lineups a week in advance and and giving these guys plenty of heads up as to when they're when they're playing and when they're not? Yeah, so I don't I don't know how much is how like I, so I don't know how much truth it is there is to it's a week in advance because it seems like there's been a couple times this season. Um, I think Cesar was supposed to be out of the lineup either the second or third game of the season uh, to make way for Kingery. But what happened was he had he had a great opening day and I think he had a great second game of the season that Kapler just realized like you know what I'm not taking him out of the lineup. So maybe he has a is uh, an outline of uh, when to get when to get guys off their feet and when to. Um, you know, give them a little rest, but it's 
I'm not really sure how much he's he's locked into it, how much he's following it. Uh, like the Hoskins uh, day off Wednesday, you know, if Kingery doesn't hit a grand slam and he and he doesn't homer on Monday, and you know Hoskins doesn't have three or four bad at bats Tuesday night, I don't really know if that was a locked in plan. It just kind of seems like, and the, this is not a complaint. This is the right way to go about it. It it just seems like he's kind of uh, going maybe three or two to three games at a time, maybe series by series, not week by week. Yeah, it's almost like the way it kind of has to be when you have these this many players. Yeah. Because I think coming to a guy uh, the day of a ball game and just being like, yeah, you're out today, it kind of it kind of throws the guy off his normal routine. And when you have this many players, which is a good thing, it's a good thing they have this kind of talent and you can kind of figure out who is a guy that you can keep around the, your roster and whatnot. Um, and plus, you got to factor in injuries. Like, injuries will happen. Oh, yeah. Um, it's kind of the way that you have to approach this with Kingery needing at bats, Franco in a, in a huge year for him. You need to get him at bats. Altair and Nick Williams in right field. Uh, I guess you don't really have a choice. So it's almost the only alternate, only route they could have gone. But yeah, he's definitely shown some fluctuation with it because he did bench Altair again the, the other night because he, could, he just wanted him to get some at bats in non-pressure situations, which I, which I guess just means batting practice. Uh, right. So yeah, it so, makes sense. Yeah, and I think most pl- Nick Williams aside, I think most players appreciate getting a heads up that you know you're not playing. Like there's a. Uh, there was a lot of reasons why Matt Williams was a bad manager in D.C., but that second year there was a story that came out where – so he was uh, he was very Sandbergish in that like it didn't really seem like he communicated with his players. And that year they had – similar to this team, just with better players, they had too many you know guys for the eight positions. I think they had like Rendon and uh, Michael Taylor and guys like that that he needed to get in the lineup. Trey Turner may have been there too. And there was a game – Jason Worth walked into the clubhouse and looked on the wall and saw he was out of the lineup without you know being communicated to or whatever, and he just ripped the lineup card down, tore it off the wall, ripped it to pieces, and walked out. And I, I you know, I, I don't think Worth's unique in that way. He doesn't want to find out that way. I think most people, because you know you, these guys are the real people. Like maybe you stay out with you know, a friend for an extra drink or two if you have a day off or something. Like, who knows? It's just, I just think yeah. having a day, like, I just think being aware of, like, when you're working and not working is more beneficial than not. In fact, I can't think of any real downside to it. Yeah, and it gives them a heads up. It lets them know when, like, I don't know, it almost makes them, the, the day before they have a day off, be like, okay, I'm off tomorrow. I'm go, I'll go balls to the wall tonight, leave it all on the line, yeah. and then I'll have an off day tomorrow. I can re, uh, relax, rest my body up. It's it's pretty much the only way you can do this, and and keep everyone happy and have and have constant communication with with these guys. Like I have Gabe Kapler's uh, head in my in my head right now of him just saying <laughs> constant communication, <laughs> constant communication. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. He is. He's so to his prepared with press conferences. I can only imagine like what those what those poor beat reporters are thinking. Yeah, uh, I love his uh, Wednesday morning interviews with uh, the morning show, just because he is just—he's just so so prepared for what they're throwing at him. It's great. <laughs> I know he's 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 almost too prepared. He's he, he's he very almost Chris is triggering. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's let's transition from the the lineup to the pitching staff. So so two guys had had really strong starts this week in 
in Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez. So Pavetta against the Reds, he went seven innings, had seven strikeouts. Gabe Kapler left him in there. Gabe Kapler left him in the game. Mm-hmm. He went out, and he was like, hey, Nick, you got this? And Nick was like, yeah. And I always found those, those conversations inter- interesting because, like, what is a pitcher supposed to say? Like, nope, <laughs> you, can, you can come get me. Just get me out of this ball game. I don't know. So I always Yeah, I've, those. I've never – you know, if a pitcher has ever done it, they've never come forward with it. I, you know, it's kind of like Pedro Martinez, Grady Little. Like, what's he supposed to say? Right. So, like, I, I'd never put much value in that, but I, I appreciated the gesture by, by, by Gabe. And then Vince Velasquez had probably is – it, is it too much of a hot take to say that was his best start since the Padres game? Uh, it's up there. I thought he, he had a start uh, – it's kind of lost cause in the middle because he was so bad in the second half last year. But he had a really dominant start against the Braves in there. But, but that's just, I guess, me nitpicking. In general, yeah, it was a very tremendous start. And uh, results aside, he just looked like the fastball was popping. Uh, he threw that – there was that pitch I texted you about. I couldn't even figure out what it was. It was like an 88 uh, changeup with movement on it. It kind of acted like a cutter or like a – it was too fast to be a slider. It was just – he just he had his best stuff. He looked his best. And he just looked in control the whole game. Didn't really have any stressful innings. The one run they got on like a you know a ground ball with eyes that got through the hole um, with Malik Smith, I think, he's good speed, and he just he he just looked his best, you know. Yeah, and my biggest pet peeve with with Velasquez was that he wouldn't he refused to pitch to contact, and yes, he got his strikeouts, but he only allowed one walk. And yeah. that's always been my problem with him is that he just will will nibble with his fastball. On on yesterday, he was he was coming or whatever Friday night, he was he was coming right after guys, and he was throwing his off speed early in counts, and that's something that I've noticed between him and Pavetta because in Pavetta's start on Tuesday, I think it was, he was throwing his fastball or he's throwing his curveball on on all counts, and. For Nick Pavetta to get to the next level, he needs to not just have hitters sitting on his first pitch fastball. Because listen, I like Pavetta's fastball, but it's pretty flat, even with a little rise to it at 94. Like eventually, major league hitters catch up to that. And the fact that he was able to locate that curveball, locate that slider-ish pitch, he's working on some third pitch, which I'm here for. It's like a a slider slash cutter kind of pitch it's like 89 but it's good it gives it gives the hitter another thing to worry about um i was super impressed by pavetta but velasquez the start was was really really important he only allowed one walk he was throwing hard he was really into it his curveball had a nice dip to it and i think the pitch it had to have been it had to have been like a split change up or something like that or or some kind of change because it kind of just it kind of fell off the table i know the one time it did cut in but other than that it was mostly just falling off the table either way if you can get those two going with nola who continues to just roll around uh, roll along and be a top 12 starter in the entire game or top 15 starter in the game and then arietta i mean that's a that's a formidable four-man rotation until you get jared eikhoff back i mean i'm I'm pretty bullish on the rotation at this point oh absolutely and i like the way he's uh, I like the way he's kind of mapping out to where like he knows he's gonna need at least like four to five innings and maybe even it was, as was the case today more on the night's um, Ben Lively pitches. So it kind of seems like he's letting the other guys go a little more. There, and 
Uh, back to the Velasquez game. There was a – it may have been Kiermaier. I forget who it was. There was somebody who he, he basically had struck out, but the ump just missed the call. It was a borderline pitch. And that's where Velasquez would usually unfold and just, like, unrattle and, you know, it would lead to a beginning. He probably would lose the guy and walk him. And I think that's where the problems came from. But I, And maybe it's just with the, with the new staff, they're trusting him more and let him go. Like, they let him, you know, get out of that. Uh, not that he had a jam, but let him get out of that and let him work his way through it. And then uh, Tuesday, the NOLA game, and this kind of flies in the face of everyone saying that Kapler ignores his feel. Gabe Kapler flat out said, when asked why uh, NOLA went the eighth inning, he said, well, it's kind of like the feel of the game and, you know, uh, having a gut feel for what's going on. My gut was NOLA was our best option for the eighth inning. And, you know, that's, I'm all here for that. That's, 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 what you want for him, uh, that's what you want for your manager, right? He really, he really mentioned a lot about how it was his gut. Like yeah, he, almost he like made trolling. Sure the, the reporters knew. Mm. Yeah, no, he reads. He reads. Uh, he's told people here that he, he checks. He follows her Twitter and stuff like that. He, no, it's, he, just, he, it's just funny when 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 his moves work. It seems like well, it was the gut, and <laughs> right. when they don't work, it's it's the numbers. Which that's one to monitor. I'm all in on Gabe. Yeah. But but when when things go wrong, he blames the numbers, and when things go right. He calls it his gut. So that, that's 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 one to definitely monitor. Uh, what did you did you take away much from from Arietta's start yesterday, or do you think he's still kind of ramping up to to uh, maybe a month from now be full full ready to go, Arietta? He looked really good. Uh, he's, that said, he's still ramping up, and it was you know pretty bad lineup. He was spotted was six run lead or, or whatever it was. Um, he looked good, and I, I the thing I took away was uh, afterwards listen listen to hear him talk listen to hear him speak, and he just I just kind of get the feeling like he understood how to pitch. You know, he's a veteran, he's a Cy Young winner. He's one of the smarter pitchers uh, going out of today, and he just he just gets it. Like he knew that he had to be economical. He knew he had to induce early ground ball counts, uh, as you're kind of talking about, which with uh, what we want from Velasquez. He just, you know, he he just sounded like the the, the man in the room, you know. Yeah, and I feel room. like it's it's weird watching him now because uh, what I remember about Arietta and watching him in, in years past was I felt like he wanted to strike everyone out, and what he's been doing here is he's just letting it all come to him. He it doesn't seem like he's trying to strike anyone out, and that mm. quote after the game really really. Sh- shed some light on that because uh, I think he's pitching more to contact and hopefully that, that keeps him sharp for, for longer into the season rather than overthrowing and trying to just uh, you know strike everyone out. I think I've, I've been really impressed by his approach and yesterday he got into a nice little rhythm between like the second and fourth inning. He had the one little hiccup inning but other than that I, I, was, yeah. I was really impressed and I think he's, he's, he's starting to round back into the, the Jake Arietta that we expect, and then obviously Aaron Nola is still is still so damn good. I I <laughs> I love Aaron Nola, and it's just like you don't even have to worry about him anymore. It's like oh Nola went out and threw seven innings and allowed less than two runs. Perfect. That's what we expect every single time now. Right, right. No, like when was the last time we heard anything about his elbow? It's been over a year, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought there might have been something up. Uh, in the Mets game, on the Facebook game. Oh, uh, yeah, because they had, they had Hutchinson up in the first inning. Yeah, so 
but yeah, he's been fine. He's been healthy. He's like, he looks stronger. He just looks more built out there. And uh, a huge year for Aaron Nola coming up. Uh, let's get to the bullpen. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll step aside. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about Victor Arano. Well, uh, I think we've all been fooled by the broadcast. I think it's actually Victor Arano. At least according to his uh, pronunciation guide, it's uh, V-E-E-K. Victor. So, yeah, okay. uh, I, I just kind of want to be on the forefront of uh, getting that straight. Because, you know, it, well, how, many, you. how many years did it take them to uh, realize that Franco was not James Franco's brother? And it's, it's Franco, not Franco. Right. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know we want to be on the uh, the right side of history on that one. But yeah, wh- what a tremendous trade though. When you, th- when you think about, it, they traded a month and a half of running rubber toe uh, Roberto Hernandez for Jesmiel Valentin and Victor Arano. Uh, Arano, I was at his major league debut last year when he kind of came in out of nowhere, and I kind of feel like whenever you're at a game and you see someone's debut, you follow them a little more closely. So kind of always had that connection with him. He's tremendous. He, you know, his delivery, or his, I guess it's his stretch, uh, the way he pitches, it actually looks very similar to, it's like a hybrid of uh, Troy Percival and Roberto Azuna. And, wow. Uh, like, right? Like, just next time you see him, just tell me you can't see, uh, like, Percival or Azuna. It's, it's very similar. Uh, his slider is actually, I was looking at, I was kind of, like, geeking out, looking at some of the stat cast numbers of it. It has a, a much higher than average spin rate. And uh, I think it's like 82, 83. So that's that's you know good uh, good velo. And he does he just very simply puts hitters away. Doesn't he, I what, like he's only had like 15 career outings. I can't remember a time where like he was ever in like any sort of jam. No, and he's retired every single batter he's faced this year. His his FIP is like point <laughs> four one. I think. Yeah. Uh, the thing about him, he doesn't walk anyone. Like he he locates ninety four, and he has a really really good slider. Like he, he's barely he's barely pitched, but I think I trust him more than Edubry Ramos. Yeah. I think I trust him more than Luis Garcia. I w- I want to see how he starts to do in more high leverage situations. Because like what if they've got what if they've got like the guy the guy that can come in and just stop the bleeding when you need the bleeding to be stopped in in the middle of a ball game. And they're just they're they're slowly working him up there. They're slowly getting him into into tighter situations. Yeah. I mean, Arano is is one of the guys that I trust right now. Yeah, I want him to to be the first guy out of the bullpen. Uh, like you know, not like in a Nola game where you, you just need someone to, to finish out the ninth inning. But like you know, middle innings. Like there was a, they lost one of the Mets games this year because they went to Drew Hutchinson as the first guy out of the bullpen, and that's a spot I want Veek to uh, come in and. Yeah, uh, just be the first uh, fireman there. So we're sort of shorting it to Veek now. He's just Veek. Veek, yeah. <laughs> Veek Arano. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the bullpen had a had a pretty solid week. Uh, I think they threw, th- I think they threw a no hitter in the game on Friday night. Uh, Adam Morgan. I still can't get over the fact that his slider is unhittable and he throws ninety five. But and that I mean, uh that like changeup he throws is like a bowling ball and it's. Like when you look at it on TV, it looks like he's throwing a beach ball at him, but it's just it's moving so much. And the, the it, when you throw ninety six, the the separation of velocity between the two pitches, that's you know perfect recipe to, to keep hitters off balance. He threw some pitch the other night. I think he he dropped it down to like ninety two, but he he must have held like a two seam grip on it. 
and it just went right underneath the left-handed hitter's bat. Like he he is he is disgusting. So uh, the, the 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 bullpen's trending up. I'm pretty confident every time they come in. I like a lot of the arms. Shout out uh, to Yaxall. Yeah, he's well. I like him, but he pretty much only has a fastball. Yeah, like, it, I, it, it, like he gets in trouble sometimes. He'll kind of create his own mess, but you know, by and large, he's gotten out of them. He had like. I don't remember this, but he had like almost ten games finished last year, which is kind of—it's a weird stat for like, you know, a guy like him fresh out of the minors. Yeah, uh, let's move on to the uh, to the week ahead here before we let you go do your overnight shift. Yeah, I've about three um, minutes. Yeah, I know. So we have the the Phils are heading to Atlanta, the the home of their their opening week woes. We have Nola versus Tehran, Pavetta versus Fulty Nevitz. And Velasquez versus McCarthy feels like a sweep. Looks like it. Uh, you know, you expect two out of three, and you know, uh, major props in Major League Baseball for like I'm not I'm dead serious about this for scheduling two Atlanta series in April. You look at some of the weather we've been dealing with throughout baseball, and you kind of wonder why uh, teams like Atlanta and like you know some of those teams or dome teams aren't hosting more and it makes perfect sense that the Phillies go down there twice in April so I really like just a weird thing I noticed in the schedule that was cool they should do that all the time I don't understand I think the Angels were playing the Angels were playing in like Chicago or some cold weather yeah, uh, stadium. yeah Verlander had to pitch in like 32 degrees weather in Minnesota instead yeah, of that like, being in Houston like what are we doing? Yeah. Um, if if Pavetta and Velasquez go off again, I I I will be inconsolable. It, it's I would be so, I would be so excited. Uh, but that, those are pretty favorable matchups. Anytime you get Nola in a series, it's gonna be a, a good a good time. And then, listen, if they get torched by Ryan Flaherty again, I might just stop watching baseball. Uh, yeah, that's I can't t- that's, I can't take it. Yeah, it's, that's I doubt that's gonna happen. And yeah, this is this will be a nice uh, bounce back game for uh, Vinny Velo, I believe. Vinny Velo. Uh, and then the Pirates come into town, and that's going to be. I think the series starts off with Arietta, and there's not a team Jake Arietta's ever beaten more than the Pirates. So uh, that's something to look well, who to. Could for, who, for, who could forget the uh, the wild card game in 20, 2015? Yeah, just complete dominance. One of his best yeah, outings. Sean Rodriguez. Yeah, there's Sean Rodriguez, and they th- they they threw at him in the eighth inning or whatever. It was <laughs> yeah. infuriating. Uh, Mike, before before I let you get out of here, a lot of the listeners don't know this yet, but Mike has an unbelievable memory for Phillies baseball. And when I come in to work, or when he comes into work, I kind of throw a date at him, and he uh, he gets it without Google, without anything. It's pretty freaky. So we're gonna try it now. And he is not on Google. This is all. This is all just straight from the brain. Yeah, Mike. What happened on April fourteenth, two thousand eleven, for the Philadelphia Phillies? Uh, that was. Well, they're off to a good start that year. So let me think. That was April eleventh. You said or April April fourteenth. April fourteenth of eleven. Uh, oh, uh, it was a pitcher's duel. Uh, it was like a two-hour game. I think Cliff Lee beat Jordan Zimmerman. So the game duration was two hours and six minutes. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Chooch got the scoring going. He homered. Uh, let's see. It was like Chooch a Thursday night. Chooch had two hits and an RBI, so I assume that got something going. Cliff Lee threw a complete game shutty. Yeah. 
Mike, you, you, you do it again. Yeah. Go have a good shift, and uh, thanks for coming on iHopes. All right, see you tomorrow. All right, see you, Mike. All right. Hey Flyers fans, it's Al Morgani here. I want to tell you about my new Flyers podcast, South Philly Sauce, along with Ashlyn Sullivan. We break down the ins and outs of the team while also bringing you the best interviews with players, coaches, and media members. You can hear the new episode every week, twice a week, on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.